Welcome to Lineouts by Earful of Dirt, bringing you conversations with rugby newsmakers about the greatest sport on the planet. And we're live on Earful of Dirt Lineouts. Uh, I'm here with Gordon Hanlon. He is the uh, director of rugby for uh, TSV Handelstein. I, I, I have not messed that up. Yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. And just uh, in Heidelberg, Germany, and uh, he's currently uh, in the states right now on vacation, uh, visiting his in-laws. So, uh, you know, he hit me up because we didn't really know where our schedules were going to be for uh, the next partner series, and here we are. So, today in the earful of dirt lineouts extra, we are doing rugby techniques. The 242 offensive system, uh, many of you know, is most famously used by the BNZ Crusaders. How are you today, Gordon? Uh, really good, actually. You know, I uh, woke up in the great state of Texas, as they say. Um, no, it was nice. I forgot just how much grass is brown here. You know, I came from Ireland where it's green and lush and everything's brown. Uh, oh, you. But no, it's, it's good. Uh, if you go to Virginia, I would say that uh, the grass is somehow still green, um, but there's snow on it. So okay. recapping uh, the last episode that we did, uh, you know, how modern rugby has been shaped by laws to affect space. Um, yeah. So we talked about last time we talked about how the breakdown has changed, how the, the tackle contest has changed. Um, the influence of rugby league defensive shapes as well. And, and what it has basically meant is instead of five guys piling into a ruck, now we have 13 players on their feet in a defensive line. So the whole point is to try and find space. Um, and we generally try and attack the space out wide or in behind. Um, but it's no longer a... It's no longer just hit up the middle and hope for the best uh, solution. Uh, with the increase of substitutions as well. So it's all about holding with and, and the team's trying to be as play from sideline to sideline or at least to, to position themselves sideline to sideline um, to work on the skills as well. And uh, so we've seen an evolution in uh, player skills. Uh, forwards more so are becoming, I mean, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Uh, forwards claim they've had the skills all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the skills, like from a technical, technical, tactical, physical, and psychological point of view, have changed completely. You know, um, our run catch pass skills are much, much better. Our decision making is better. Our, our fitness and conditioning is better. And just the the whole uh, mentality where people want to play and people want to attack now, and they want the ball in their hands and they want to make decisions. Um, and it's no longer just the 10 and the 13 who decide what happens. Yeah. So let's get into the why of the 242 because we're going to talk, uh, uh, everyone who's on, we're going to talk about uh, what the 242 is, uh, how you recognize it, and also um, how to coach it, really. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we got into uh, this series is we, because I think you could be taught how to recognize it pretty fast, but you couldn't really uh, 
that would do a disservice to uh, everyone out there listening and everyone out there that could eventually watch this, that uh, we wanted to spread the knowledge on how to coach the two four two offense a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like with everything we do, we have to start with why. And the way the defense are with 13 defenders or 14 defenders in a line, how we score tries, and we touched on it last time, is with line breaks. And the more line breaks you get, and it's converting them into points. So where line breaks are easiest is generally out wide. And when you make a line break out wide, what happens is the defensive line, they cannot be set to blitz. They cannot be set to put you under pressure. Some of them will have to turn, turn their backs to the attackers, and some of them will have to chase back. So that we're always looking for line breaks. That, that's, that's the whole point of attack, to find that space. Um, line breaks are easiest out wide. Uh, if you have your ruck in the middle, it's a lot easier to get a line break out, out of the wing then. So and when we do turn the defense backwards, then we have a lot more options uh, to play for when we come back across the field. So just remember, like the big purpose is just line breaks. That, that's what we're looking for the whole time. All right, so let's move forward. So what is the history of the 2-4-2? We've talked about um, B&Z Crusaders. They've used this offense forever, and they're very effective. I mean, yeah. we can look at their, you know, their trophy case. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they, um, they basically, I don't want to say perfected it, but it was through Crusaders and Canterbury uh, that this came about or it became synonymous with them, um, Connacht, uh, with Pat Lamb, won a Pro 4, well, 12 at the time. Um, Crusaders actually just changed this year. They play one three two two now, which we'll get into down the line. Um, I know Rob Penny, he tried to introduce it to Munster when he was the coach there, and Munster is a difficult place to coach in, uh, and his ideas were rejected, and he was eventually fired or let go, I guess he wasn't fired. Um, but they're the same thing, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then I know in the US, it's like two for two is very prominent, especially at the college level or university level. Like I know UNT use it um, simply because it is it's a very easy system um, to learn, but it's very difficult to master. So you can do just simple options in it. And you can maintain the ball and you can play rugby and, and, and everyone does their job. So it's, it's a very, very easy system to implement uh, and to play. So that's that's one of the reasons why I guess in the US it is becoming more and more, or it was more and more popular. Awesome. So so what is the 242? Like, uh, I think we can, uh, you know, come up with ideas as far as the shape and the framework without seeing pictures. But uh, although I am an auditory learner, people seem to think that visual framework when it comes to certain things like this, uh, whether you do uh, a sand table or a chalkboard, they want to see pictures. Yeah. And you've got some pictures of this. Yes. I can screen share this. It's set up based on forwards. You have a core group of forwards in the middle with four, and then, uh, you know, a flanker and an eight and the eight, or no, was it? Yeah. Flanker, is it the six and the seven on the left, and then the eight man and the hooker on the right? And there can be 
alternating parts of that. Exactly. And then, you know, well, Gordon will get into that <laughs> specifically. Yeah. So it's basically you have your core and your edge group. So the core group is your two props and the, the second rows. Um, and they, their main goal is to stay kind of between the 15s, I guess you could say. And then the edge groups is the two flankers and the number eight and the hooker, like you said. And, and those sides uh, switch depending on where the set piece starts or where you attack from a center scrum, for example. Um, I'm just going to pop that down. Uh, so a um, line out on the left hand side, obviously your hooker and uh, maybe the six or the seven or whoever was jumping or lifting will stay and then the others will go to the far side. Or if you have a, a scrum in the middle and you attack left, well then the two, the two the seven and the eight will probably go to the touchline to, to uh, support that ruck, and then the hooker and the six will go to the right. So they're very uh, transitional, and it depends on how you want to attack. And then the, the core group just stays in the middle. They, they, their job is to just hold the defenders in the middle. Um, and I know someone the last time wanted to know... Oh, uh, stop sharing. I, th I think, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, someone the last time wanted to know how, like, how do we set up the field, for example? How do they know what to do? And it's, we call it like maps, but it's, it's a very simple, and I'm, I'm sure you're used to having zones in the, um, in America where you have your exit zone or your play zone, the score zone, for example, you kick in the exit, right? Well, if you also take the field and you split it uh, vertically, and it can be done into three zones, for example, it can be done ABC or one, two, three, or red, white, blue, just a common color scheme in the US. Um, and then what you do is you use these zones. So when they would make a play, you could say, hey, we're gonna call, white and blue, which means you hit in the midfield and then we're going to play to the right-hand side. Or you could say like blue and then uh, snap, for example, which means we're going to go to the far side of the field and then we're going to come back quickly. So when, when the plays are called, you have these different zones or, or maps. Uh, and it's very good uh, for everyone to have a rough understanding of, of where they need to be and, and what's going to happen. Um, now, it's not like scripting or calling the plays. It's just saying, hey, we want the ball in this area of the field, if that makes sense. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, I mean, it's it's fluid motion, so I'm guessing some structures, uh, some coaching structures uh, give less decisions to players. So yeah. uh, in that respect um, – I mean, I don't know because I haven't played in a super structured system personally. I know they exist because I've seen them coached and rugby is a very player centric game on match day that requires you to trust your players. So you, you know, if you're a professional, you're super structured, you know, three to four days a week so that they can be prepared. So players can be prepared to make all the decisions on match day. And then you just sort of 
go up there in the in the stand and kind of watch and you know make your adjustments down to your um your touch line manager to tell like and they just feed adjustments whereas i know some some coaches like are very strict with what goes on in the pitch yeah yeah um and that's and that's exactly true. I mean, that's why um, I think the two for two is so prominent in the U.S. because of the different options. As I said, it's very simple. If you think about it in these three zones and A, B, C, or whatever, if you say, okay, we're going to we're going to hit in the mid midfield zone, then we're going to go to the right zone, back to midfield to the left zone. It's very easy for players to understand left, right. So the options we have are, especially in the midfield. If you have forwards that aren't particularly skilled, you, the simplest option is we pass to the guy at the front, the lead option, and he just runs. And then the others support that and they clean the ruck and then we play to the right or we play to the left. Or um, they're like a little tip pass. That's a very good one where you pass to the first guy and then he can he, he tips on to his support runner. And it, you change the point of attack. And these are very simple um, skills to understand. Um, and for new players as well, it's a very easy thing. You know, you only have one job. Where it gets more advanced is when you start having like uh, release options or, or so you pass to the first guy and then a back. Let's say he's identified space at wide, he'll call for it. And now all of a sudden that forward has to catch the ball and he has to make a pass out behind to release uh, back. Um, and Ireland, with if you watch Johnny Sexton, is he's always doing that. He'll pass to the forwards and loop around. He's always he just loves a good pass and loop. But it's about the forwards being able to execute these skills uh, under pressure. And the better they get, and the more prepared you are, then you have more and more options. So Connacht under Pat Lamb, they were uh, well known for not just doing release options, but they would pass to the first forward. They would tip to the second forward, who then would tip on again to the third forward, who would release uh, Bundy Aki or, or their backs out wide. So when you make a tip pass, you're bringing outside defenders in. They have to commit to you. So if we were to, let's say, play against a team that has uh, not very much line speed and they're drifting, and you're not under much pressure, well, then you want to play through as many forwards as possible because you, you suck those outside defenders in. Whereas if you're against a team with lots of pressure, you don't have time to do that. So you may just have to carry and clean the run. That's, uh, I would say it's easier to, you know, carry and clean the ruck with a, in, in the two, four, two structure, because you, I mean, if it's, if the ball's in the center, with your core group, then, I mean, you've got three forwards to set and clear if need be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you should not be losing a rock with, with three support forwards. I mean, if you are, someone's not doing their job. And then when we get to like the edge groups, as I said, it's all about line breaks and, and how we get line breaks, especially out wide is through mismatches. Um, offloads, they're the, they're the easiest way where you have a forwards and, and they can position themselves in a certain way. So you could have um, the two forwards um, stacked behind each other 
between the outside back and the winger, or you could, you know, they could be in a triangular shape. And it all depends on what the defense does. So if there's plenty of space, you want to just get the ball to the winger as quickly as possible. And just let him do his job. And then the forwards clean the rock. But if there's, let's say there's defenders from the 15 meter to the touchline, you need to pull them and you need to manipulate them. So what you're trying to do is, and if you watch Kieran Reed, how many offloads or little passes does Kieran Reed get away? And all of a sudden, the ball is 30 meters downfield and no one knows what's happened. So you, you want to catch the ball and you want to run at the gaps and pull those wide defenders in field. Um, and we can we get into later about how you coach it, for example, and, and, and what needs to happen. So um, we've talked about, you know, main options uh, with core and edge groups. So how do uh, – I think we'll also talk about how the back line fits in because um, you've noted that the, uh, the back line outs uh, except for the, uh, the uh, blind side, the open side wing and your outside center are uh, pretty much in the core. So how does, um, I'm, I look at offenses and it really, from what I can find versus what you've even written for, to share with me, they, they tend not to emphasize like what the backs do. So how do, I mean, what is available out there? And that's one of the, why we're sitting down and doing this is to push the information rather than have it be pulled. And so how do, how do your, how does your back line fit into this offense? Obviously you've got, you know, the scrum half, fly half, the inside center, your blindside wing, and your fullback as part of your core offense group with the, I'm guessing the uh, uh, open side wing and the outside center split off to go with your edge groups on the back when it comes to backline organization in this offense. Yeah, exactly. So the split is, um, we talked about the forwards, but the split also happens to the backs. Um, and it all depends on uh, influence, for example. So the nine and 10 are obviously going to be a lot more involved and have a lot more influence with the guys in the middle because they're going to be doing the majority of the passing. So you want to kind of group them together. The 12 or, or your, your second five is the player who's naturally going to be behind that middle group. He's kind of like the, the swing man. So he, if they see the space, he'll be the one to get the ball in behind. And your wings and your fullback, depending, and again, it depends on the fullback where you want them to insert. But your wings, your fullback, your 13, they're generally going to be um, working with the edge forwards a lot more than the middle guys. So you need to start building up these relationships. And um, a simple way is, let's say if you're in training or practice, is you split up between the edge and the, the core group. So you send your 9, your 10, uh, your 12 off with the middle group of forwards. And they just start working together. And then you send your 13, your 15, your wingers with the uh, edge groups and it's all just about repetition because this whole system or all systems are about decision making so what you want to do is uh, give you an example so let's say we split 
you have you know, maybe five or six defenders. And then you have your four forwards set up in their shape. You have your nine, your 10, your 12. And kind of just like a pendulum, you want to go, just the balls on the ground goes from nine to 10 to the four, depending what the defenders do, make a decision. Is it a tip pass or is it a carry or you play out the back? And then the number nine just runs off to the right-hand side. The forwards and the 10 will have to get realigned. They have really, really worked to get backwards. Um, and you just do this five or six times, like a pendulum, back and forth, back and forth, because I've seen some people will do it once. They get set, they do it, and they go, okay. And everyone walks back to their starting position. Well, you know, we're not playing cricket. It's, there's a little <laughs> bit more fluid motion to it than that, or baseball, I should have said. Um, so... It's all about repetition and, and going from left to right hand side simulates the natural flow of the game. And that's what you want to do in, in the middle. And again, it's just decisions. It's not contact. You, the defenders can have tackle pads if you want, but it's light touch or, or, or wrap up. It's making decisions. That's, that's the key. Um, and if the skills aren't executed, well, then that's fine. That's fine. It's, it, it's better to make the right decision and not execute than make a great pass but not see any space or, or understand the options and then when you get to the edge group this is where it gets a little bit more complicated so you have basic two basic ways of doing this if if you have two number nines what you can do is you start with a breakdown in the left channel you have your two forwards your winger and the number nine will just fire the pass out to the second number 10 who will pass to the 13 for example and then you just place the ball on the ground and those edge groups have to work to get reorganized and then we come back out wide really really quickly that's if you have the, the skilled players to be able to do that and, and you replicate that for the right hand side as well if we don't have which a lot of teams don't have these um, skilled players again just like a pendulum um, you put defenders you, you Make the middle of the field, or at least the space in the middle, like uh, no pressure, no defenders, and just go back and forth. So start on one side with a breakdown, pass the ball, get it into the 13's hands, and then you go through the decisions between the two forwards and the wings. They form a breakdown, and then it comes back out to the 13 on the other side. So the 13 is kind of just like, a, as I said, a swing man. Um, and again, I've seen some teams do this, but and the defenders... They're so happy with themselves because there's five defenders rushing this one player, this one 13 who has no support. And they go, yeah, we stopped it. And it's like, no, no, you have to, you have to use your imagination. And we have to try and replicate the game scenario. Okay? He's generally going, he or she's generally going to be getting the ball and going to be attacking. And, and it's about creating scenarios which replicate the game is what we want to do. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, so moving forward uh, from core and edge groups, let's go into the total team concept in this offense. Okay, yeah. So as I said, um, each team is different, obviously. Um, and a lot will depend on the type of defense you face. But the idea is to go from one zone to the next. Um, and just like the core and edge splits that I, I described, you can do that to a full team run where you can just go through your zones. Um, and that works. It does work, and they're making decisions, but they're not 
making decisions uh, quickly enough or, or uh, under a lot of pressure. So what will happen is when you when the pressure comes on in games, people will not execute as if they have the past. So the idea is, and the, one of the best ways I, I can I, I develop this is to have the mentality or the mindset that we can only have one point of contact in each zone. So if you were to play touch, for example, two teams, and even 10 or 12 players, it doesn't matter. You're playing touch and you like zonal touch. So if you have imaginary lines or cones down in the area, you could only get touched one time in each zone or else it's a turnover. And this starts to develop the habit where players realize we have to go from, from zone to zone uh, and not just well, we're going to hit in midfield and then we're going to hit in midfield because it's impossible. It's, it's too difficult to do that. Um, so, yeah, that's the zone touch is a good way. Uh, team run is another good way of doing it. Um, but the best way I find is, um, I call it scenario. So we will, before the, the captain takes the team on the last day for captain's run, we'll have a really, really intense thing, which is called scenarios. And we'll set up things that we want to do that week, for example. So we'll start with a breakdown in midfield and say, hey, we want to go, we want to go left. We want to realign really quickly, hit midfield again. And then when the whole team, when the defenders flow to the right, we attack left again quickly. And it's just about creating these scenarios. Okay, so we have a line out here. We're going to hit midfield and then see what options we have. And, and a good way of doing that is, so if you have, you have your starting team, for example, you start with your line out. If you have a second number nine, get him to stand in the middle of the field, back kind of where the coaches will be standing or beside where the fullback is. We go through our line out, we execute, we have our play, we hit midfield, and then whatever the call is, the starting number nine plays to the right or to the left, and then the second guy comes in not maybe one or two seconds after the initial nine, and he plays to the opposite side. And that creates like muscle memory, and, and players realize that they have to be an option all the time. It's not just, well, we're going here and then we come back. No, it's all about options. It's all about decisions. And to get into that, there is a, it's a mindset which we call 90-60-90. And what that means is coming out of the set piece and jogging. So for the first 10 meters, you go at 90%. And this works for tackling and defense as well. You go at 90% of your speed. You work really, really hard out of the set piece. Then 60% of a jog, find out where you're going or, or, or where you need to be. And then when you get within 10 meters of the ball or the tackle, it's 90% again. So you really, really work hard to get into position because if you're in position early the game is so much easier got it that's um i mean conceptually i think uh that leaves you know a lot out there for people to listen to and and gain and you know the next part of this for the coaches out there that are going to listen to this so how do we've, we've talked conceptually we've talked about how to recognize the system but how do you coach and train the two four two offense. Um, well, using the the little scenarios that we took, we talked about now, it, it's really 
to coach, it's about setting up the situation um, for the defenders. So if your defense is the same way all the time, players are not going to learn. They're going to basically just, they're going to, like a, a test in school, they're going to learn to beat the test, but they're not actually going to learn. So it's all about having different pictures, and you want the defense in training. Set up games. Set up, you know, playing touch or, or the scenarios where, um, for example, with the edge group, a really good one is you have your guys uh, set up and aligned and then make six or eight different colored cones um, from the sideline to the 20 meters and have three defenders. Uh, attackers stand with their back to where they're going and then the three defenders just jump on any random cones so that the defensive picture is constantly changing and then go. And you, when you say go, the ball is in the air already. So the first guy catching the ball has to turn, catch the ball, recognize the space, see where what the defense is doing, and we attack from there. So it's all about changing the picture and, and, and like um, it's learning to like block information. Um, so, oh, I remember this. I remember when the defense was covering across. I do this. I hold. I hold the person. Versus, while well, the defense was very, very flat, we have to. We have to do this. Um, and it's same in the middle. As I said, starting out, it's very easy. Just run through the options. It is very, very easy uh, to just hit, hit midfield, clean the rock. Um, how we teach the other options is start off just walking. Start off, get your get your middle forwards or your core forwards working in twos or threes, maybe one defender. Give them the ball and where that defender stands, then they make a decision and do a simple pass. And when you build up from walking, you build up the micro skills from walking, it's a lot easier to recognize this. So then we go into the, the group setting, uh, like we discussed earlier. And as I said, it's just everything is about decisions, and, and there's so many ways to coach it, so many ways to teach it. But we need decisions. I know we keep hammering on about decisions, but but that that's what this uh, shape is all about. It's about creating like the mu sorry, muscle memory to make the skills and the decisions autonomous. Sense. Uh, you know, you, you've talked about walking. I, I don't really know if this, if the term really resonates with uh, that I'm going to use other teams. Maybe it's just, you know, a Phoenix uh, rugby club thing. But we, uh, we train uh, the breakdown a lot. I mean, we do, we do a lot of things. It's like literally the best uh, practice I've uh systems that I've done in three different clubs. It's not the best I've seen. It's just, it's the best I've done. So uh, one of the things uh, when we're working on the breakdown is basically um, working on that offense uh, in a drill called Irish, which is like you said, walking. So we will use like pass to those different options and then you'll walk, get tackled and reset walk, get tackled, reset. And I, that, I think that definitely plays into drills that you're discussing. Um, I think, you know, some coaches might already use that and may even call it British or Welsh. I don't know. People are funny. I don't know why it was called Irish. It's just called Irish. But yeah. that, you know, you know, you got to – 
when it comes to coaching systems and, and anything, you know, in the army, we had, uh, this method, we call it uh, crawl, walk, run. So I think something in rugby that we don't do effectively is the crawl phase, which is, well, um, giving people playbooks, like just conceptually giving them images to look at because you don't need to, I mean, you don't give a, t- an, a team like a 30 page playbook day one. Uh, it's like you give them four plays, you know, week one, Hey, these are the plays we're going to work on. And then you give them four plays the next week or the next month, even if you have a long time to install this. And I think that's one of the things in club rugby in the U S that we're sort of lacking. And I think we're, you know, pushing out a, a product right now that will allow people to conceptually understand this offense and then push forward. But uh, back onto drills, um, how, how let's look at countering the two four two. Okay. Um, what are the weaknesses of it? Um, basically, if you want to stop it, it's very easy. Um, you have your defensive line, and all you need to do is there's two things. One is if you're, let's say, they're on the sideline, send a, a runner or a shooter, and the defensive line will come up as one, and you just send one guy just. Just go really, really quickly on the outside of the core group. And his or her role is to shut down the release option at the back. Because then if they have to take contact in midfield, then it's a lot easier to defend. But if they're able to get around your first wave of defense, get it to the width and attack, that means you're going to have, you're, you're, as a defender, you're going to be turned backwards. So that's what you're trying to do. The other problem with it is, I call this like the dead zones. If we have contact uh, either through the core group or the edge group around the 15-meter lines, then the uh, proportions and the ratios of the zones and the shapes does not work at all, and it's very easy to defend. So imagine if you have the core group have had to do contact just to the right of the left 15-meter. There's not enough real space for the edge group to work, so they're not going to have time um, to make the right decisions, to execute their skills, and to, to make line breaks. And after that, the core group is going to have to work to get back into midfield. But the big problem is if you can, as I said, if you can make the tackle on that 13, on on the, the 13, the 15, the people that link each zones, what happens then is there's confusion. So sometimes the edge guys will, will come in to support and to ruck, or sometimes the core group will split. And once they split, you're golden. So, so as a defender, what you're trying to do is you're trying to attack in behind. You're trying to uh, get into areas where they don't have time and space to work. And you're really, really trying to split that middle group. Because when there's four attackers, they have a lot of options. But imagine if you're defending and all of a sudden two second rows are in the ruck because they're fit enough. And now you're facing a nine, a 10, and two props. Well, you can do 100% line speed there all day long because the options they, they have are, are not that great. So you hit your props. Now all of a sudden, like you said, instead of it being four people in the ruck, now you've got one ball carrier, one rucker, and the number 10 may have to join. 
and you get that, now all your options are even better for a defense. So I guess to recap is, number one thing is line speed. You want to attack with one or two players outside the middle group. And the second thing is you really want to try and force the point of contact to be around the 15 meter lines in infield. And there you've got to, you can really, really do a lot of damage to their, to their shape. I think that uh, you know covers most of what we wanted to do today when it came to the two four two. So let's recap this real quick, and then um, we'll talk about uh, our next episode. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Yeah. So what, what do you want to recap? <laughs> I don't know. It was in the script, you know. <laughs> so, uh, right. so yeah. So, no, but basically, the key is um, line breaks. We're trying to make line breaks out wide, um, and we use the two four two to hold our width system to put in place in the US, for example, with rugby players who are just learning um, what to do because their lines and their jobs are very um, simple. And actually something that I meant to touch on earlier, what, what you said, and because we talked about the, the how we coach it and the, the skills and the decision making, but when you talked about the breakdown and, and the rocks, it's, it's, it's also very important to coach the type of breakdowns that you're going to have in each areas. You know, how often in teams do you say, well, this is how we clean out. But depending where you're on the field and which group you're in, those cleanouts look very, very different. Sometimes you'll be against a winger. Sometimes you'll be against an entire pack coming through. Things are very different there. Um, so yeah, just to coach it, just create scenarios, create um, things that you want to see or, or, or game situations. So. Like, yeah, we've made a line break and we're here and then we have to work to get to our shape again. And it's a very easy and everyone has some good ideas. I'm sure there's better ways to coach it than what I've said. Um, but it is just all about decision makings and about going from zone to zone to zone. And we haven't even talked about the kicking game and that, but that could be another, another episode, I guess. So what are, uh, like some good games that say you know we we've talked about the crusaders to like try and find uh you know this specific like good match film that's probably available mm -hmm. um out there um, to, to look at uh i think yeah so there's I'm yeah, just so looking through YouTube right now. It looks like the 2011 semifinal ver Stormers versus Crusaders is up there. Is up is up on YouTube to look at uh, the full match of what was it Crusaders Blues in 2016 is online. There's there's tons of film to look at these guys. Um, so when you're watching, uh, real quick, how do you recognize? that as like as an observer because i mean we've talked about the shape but it's very fast so and a lot of these teams also play multiple so if you're if i'm watching it brand new how do i notice what they're running i guess the big one is just look for the breakdowns in, in what areas do they have the breakdowns and who is it? um to recognize, so you talked about Crusaders in 2016. Is it Kieran Reed and the hooker in the breakdown all the time, or 
in the midfield, you look at Owen Franks or, or um, Sam Whitelock, um, just identify the breakdowns. And when you see the breakdown, then you'll start to recognize the zones. And then when you see the zones, you'll start to see, well, this player is always in the same zone. So yeah, Crusaders and two good games from 2016 is, one is the, I think it was the quarterfinals against the Hurricanes. And the Hurricanes, just like we, we talked about, they did that countering. They sent they sent a shooter and he stopped them playing wide. And the Hurricanes did a very good job of stopping the 2-4-2. Or when the Crusaders played Force, when they put almost like 90 points on them. So the Western Force did zero line speed, um, zero pressure. They just tried to do a drift defense, and the Crusaders just ate them alive. Um, wow. Yeah. The uh, Pro 12 with Connacht, the year they won, um, they took the 242, and because Northern Hemisphere rugby was not quite as used to it, they did a lot more different options. So when you're looking for um exotic options or packages then that conic from the pro 12 the year they won which i think was 15 i think 2015 or maybe 16 season like i'm not too sure um but they're also very good to watch awesome i think uh that about wraps it up for today's episode of rugby techniques as an earful of dirt and lineouts extra uh, thank you, Gordon, for uh, coming on to discuss the 242. And we will be discussing the 1331 offense in uh, the next couple of weeks. I think after uh, Gordon has, you know, done what we all do during the holidays and spend some time with family. Uh, when he gets back to Germany, we will again, uh, you know, just keep dropping knowledge for everyone and uh, putting out technical stuff. Yeah, no, no, that's so we cover one three three one and, and how it's different and, and, and the, the cues and what you're looking for there and stuff. Um and, and like you said, we'll we'll keep going and people wanna listen, they'll listen, I guess. Someone's gonna wanna talk like at, to ask us, like, so what do the all blacks do? <laughs> <laughs> so I think yeah. we'll talk about that uh after we've uh gone over you know, basic shapes, uh, you know, the big stuff. Cause based on what you've told me about that offense, it's, it's a multiple offense really. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, we may need more than one or two pictures for that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so again, signing off for this episode, uh, I still don't know when the show is back. It's either, uh, no, I think yeah. Check for check for earful of dirt, 10 p.m. Eastern on the eighth, I believe. I might be some, yeah on the eighth. It's a Monday. Check for the show. We'll be back. We're gonna have some cool guests. Uh, looking at Tosan from Viral Rugby and Terry Kilbane for Rugby City to kick off the year. Uh, so it should be pretty cool. Um, again, thanks, Gordon. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. This has been Lineouts by Earful of Dirt. Connect with Earful of Dirt online. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com. 
or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. For Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for listening.